An idea has just been born. No one has seen it yet. It's tiny, but with the potential to change everything. Every new idea is precious in this way, sometimes fragile or half-baked. Its worth might not be immediately obvious. To survive, we must protect their little sparks. There it goes. Good luck, little guy. So many ideas like this are never realized. They could have been so much more than a line in an email or a mumble on a video call. When ideas are explored on Miro, the visual collaboration whiteboard, they're seen by the whole team in real time. Thoughts come to life and grow through team collaboration. Miro is a space where all ideas are taken seriously, and seriously good ideas come together in unexpected ways. Join over 30 million people collaborating at Miro.com. M-I-R-O.com. This is the Average to Savage podcast with Paul Garino. Everyone and anyone, athletes, celebs, and much more. What's up, everybody? I'm back for another episode of the Average Savage podcast. Our special guest today is Walter Kenzie. He's the CEO and founder of Encore Live. Walter, how's it going? It's great. It's good to be here with you today. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. Um, let's just jump right into it. So how, how did you end up starting Encore Live? It's a crazy story. I uh, told my dad after going to my first concert when I was seven years old that this is what I was going to do for a living. I wanted to be behind the scenes. I wanted to do something that being bring big crowds together. Uh, it was kind of a, a, a sad story at first. A, a friend of mine got really sick uh, when I was 18. I also was sick and in the hospital. Um, and we were both poor as can be. And, and But uh, I had insurance. He didn't. And so... Uh, and his illness was terminal. So he was way worse off than I was. And um, I wanted to help him out, wanted to raise some money, but I also knew I had to let a lot of people know how sick this kid was um, in order to get that support. And I kind of went back to that dream I had since I was seven and uh, put a committee together in the community and a bunch of people came together and we threw a concert for him. It confirmed that this is what I want to do for a living. And and it also, we raised all the money that they needed uh, to help him achieve the things in life that he wanted. So it was a very fulfilling experience. Um, I had to have a kidney transplant. And so after that, I went and got a real job to help pay the bills and pay off the debt. Uh, but I told him in my job interview, I said, the day I become debt-free, I'm gone. And uh, my paycheck, December 1st, 2010, I paid off my last piece of medical debt associated with the transplant. I had $500 left over to my name and I used that 500 bucks to start Encore Live. Um, I, the original goal was that I would throw big rock concerts and country music festivals and things like that. Uh, but I found this world that I didn't even know existed where the ultra wealthy threw these lavish parties. And, um, and before you know it, I'm, I'm hiring the biggest celebrities in the world to come entertain these little intimate crowds for birthday parties and anniversaries and things like that and really just built a built a pretty big business out of kind of being the go-to guy for the world's most affluent families parallel to that we um had a convention business the conferences trade shows things like that we help blue chip companies grow their brand through cultural based events and um then the pandemic hit and all of that went away and so uh and it caused our pandemic pivot which uh today has manifested itself as encore nights we produce 
uh, massive concerts in one destination and broadcast them out to micro fan bases uh, in smaller venues all over the world. Uh, since the pandemic hit, we've thrown a little over 4,500 events in 36 countries and had 1.7 million people come out to see the biggest stars in the world. And not one person got sick uh, in the program. And now we're producing more concerts annually than about any other com company in the world. Wow. That's, I mean, all that, that whole story is awesome and amazing. Um, so going back to when you were saying you were seven years old, how did you know at seven years old you wanted to throw concerts and what like what made you want to throw con like what was it did you go to a concert or something like what, what was it great question so my dad uh was a volunteer for the local county fair and our county fair labette county kansas my dad's a county commissioner there and has been really lived a life of service and he's he's my hero i uh he's you know he hasn't made a whole lot of money in his life but he's been serving his community for 45 years as the town judge or police officer, whatever. He's had a bunch of different jobs. So uh, volunteer fireman, but he, um, he volunteered at our county fair to put on a concert and he didn't have a very big budget. My town only had at the time, like 130 or 140 people total that lived in the town. And he threw this concert and like three or 400 people showed up. I'd never seen that many people in one place before, you know, and you look, you know, today, you know, we entertain hundreds of thousands of people at some of the shows we produce. But at the time, I'd never seen anything like it before. And it was just so cool to see something my dad did as just a, as something to serve his community. And all these people came out to see it. And it was amazing to me. And, and, um, and I loved everything about it. And, and it was crazy. I remember the very specific moment that the, the band walked up and started speaking into the microphone and the crowd went nuts. And now 30 some years later, it's the very same thing that I'll work for months or longer on a show, but it's that moment when the stadium's full and the stage is set and that artist walks out and steps up to the microphone and either busts into a song or says, hello everybody. And everything, the crowd goes nuts. That is the adrenaline rush that I live for. That is the moment that I live for this, that everybody has come together for this one moment, all because I've been spending my time organizing and putting it together. And they all decided that's where they wanted to be that time. So it's a, yeah. I love it. It's what gets me going. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And I was doing some research on you and I went on your LinkedIn page um, and like under your education, um, you proudly said you finished 155 out of 160 in your high school class. And then, um, and you're, and you said you dropped out of Kansas state and you said, there's always a good story behind a dropout. So, so let's hear it. <laughs> so I, that, that's just it. I, um, um, I, I was number 155 out of 160. I, how did you, how uh, did you get into Kansas state if you were 150? So, uh, so first of all, for eighth grade, I had to beg my principal and beg my teacher to just let me graduate. And literally the excuse I made in the eighth grade was the same excuse I made four years later with my high school principal. I'm going to be fine. Like, I'm going to be fine. Like you don't have, I don't need this. I don't need this piece of paper to say I completed this. So just let me graduate. You don't need to hold me back one more year. Literally. I had the same excuse whenever I was in the eighth grade as, as I did in high school. And it was, um, you know, but it was, it was I, I was so low in my class in high school because I was so active. I 
was student body president. I was president of all these different clubs, president of all these different organizations. I missed 95 days of my senior year of high school because I was out on activities. I skipped school one time total. I got busted, got my ass beat, and I'll never, I never did it again. Um, so I, I was gone so much because I was busy with other school stuff, and I just didn't care as much about the classroom. And uh, probably should have cared more. I'm the, probably the only guy in Labette County High School history to take Algebra one four years in a row and still never pass. Um, and then in K-State was the same thing. I, I got up there. I literally convinced the admissions office. I'm like, look at everything else I'm doing. Like, I am a good kid. I just don't make good grades. Um, and I got up there and I, um, uh, but ultimately that's when I got sick and I, I had to go into the hospital and like two weeks in to K-State, I, I was in this fraternity, but there was a hospital right across the street from the fraternity. And I literally like two weeks into school, I checked into that hospital and that began a three-year journey where I was just constantly in the hospital. And, uh, um, but it, uh, so, you know, I, I was in a college town. I just wasn't going out with my buddies or anything like that. So had my kidney transplant, had like a million dollars in debt or something crazy like that. I don't think it was that much, but it was a lot. Yeah. And, um, um, and I just, I had a decision to make at 20 years old. Do I file bankruptcy and finish school? Or do I roll up my sleeves and go to work? And I made the decision that I didn't want a bankruptcy on my record uh, at 20, that um, that college just wasn't going to be for me. I, and I was going to go to work. My cousin drove a BMW. I called him. I'm like, you sell drugs or what do you do? Like, how can you afford a BMW? No one in Edna, Kansas drives a BMW. And he was like, I, I sell mattresses for a company called Mattress Firm. I'm like, well, I want to sell mattresses. And lo and behold, that's where I went to work. So. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. And then like, was there something that you, it, it seems like you kind of always knew you were going to be an entrepreneur. Like, like what was that like just starting your first business? And then like, what have you learned like since then? Well, I'm going to tell you something that's absolutely insane. Um, I got my first business loan when I was seven years old. And so seven was like a big year for me. What is I went to my first concert. I don't know what I, what I, I feel bad about my seven year old life now. Like I was like, I, I don't even remember it. I decided what I was going to do for a living and I got my first business loan. So my, the, the story there is um, they wouldn't even let that happen these days, but the story there is uh, my dad co-signed for me and I took out a loan to buy a pig um, and then I was going to raise the pig and, uh, and then I'd sell it and hopefully for a profit. And that's what I did. And then I used the profits to reinvest in my next business loan. So I took out a business loan every year from seven until 18. And I always had to sit down with my banker and go through my checkbook, which you know was the PL statement and do a business review. And it was the greatest experience of my life. And it actually breaks my heart that it would never be allowed to happen today. But literally I sat down quarterly with my dad and my banker and I went over, this is how much I spent in vet bills. And this is how much I spent at the feed store feeding my animal and raising it. By the time I was a senior in high school, I had a cattle ranch. And like, I had a full blown operation and, uh, and thank goodness we did because selling that operation is what helped fund a lot of my medical stuff. But, uh, um, but it was nuts. And, and, you know, but from seven years old on, I've, I've had a business since I was seven and uh, uh, in one way, shape or another. Um, and it has just been, uh, it's been what it is. And you look at it today, I've got four different companies and I've got two different uh, business plans drawn up on my next two um, endeavors 
one day soon. So right now, everything I'm doing um, is in entertainment. Uh, but in the near future, all of my businesses will be somewhat hospitality and entertainment focused. And so uh, my wife and I are going to open up a fast food restaurant, a, a new hopefully chain that takes off that we're pretty excited about. And then we also have an Airbnb business that will that's doing really well. So, so anyway, that's, uh, you know, so just, I've always had that. My dad was an entrepreneur. His dad was an entrepreneur. My, I'm named after my great grandfather um, who um, literally when the ambulance came to pick him up to take him to the hospital, he knew it was the end of his road. And instead of just going directly to the hospital, he paid the ambulance driver to drive him through his business. And so he could see it one last time before he went to the hospital. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's uh, it's a part of my family. It's part of our DNA and it's who we are. That, that's, that's, once again, that's crazy and awesome story. Um, and that's crazy because I interview like a lot of athletes and it's, it's crazy that you say like seven because usually like, around like i'd say like seven to i don't know maybe like 13 they usually figure out that they're really good at that sport that they're yeah so like that's so so that's like a that's like a crazy thing to me just that you're saying so like it all like adds up like i feel like well even even as a uh, my daughter's a seven-year-old and i firmly believe she needs to be a kid like yeah, yeah, my yeah. oldest daughter i have a two-year-old and a seven-year-old my oldest daughter she needs to be a kid and we try we work really hard to keep her kind of anchored as a kid but she sees what I do. She sees the things I'm doing and she can't help but talk about what she wants to be when she grows up. And I love, I love that spirit that a child has in that. And so we spend a lot of time talking about being a leader, you know, uh, you know, girls, you see all those memes and different things about, oh, that girl's bossy or that girl's, you know, whatever, I always try to translate it for my daughters that no, you're just being a leader. And, and so, and it's funny because she wins all these crazy awards at school and her academics are fine because she's got a smart mom, but, um, but a lot of what she, a lot of the reason why she wins these things is because they always specifically call out that she's the leader of the class. And, and I just love that. And so I just, you know, I don't want it to happen too quick. I want her, I want both my girls to be kids and enjoy life, but it's so crazy because I've been telling this story about my seven-year-old life for a decade now. And now I have a seven-year-old and it's like, holy crap. Like now I'm watching it happen to her. And um, so I'm trying to slow it down as much as I can, but I, I'm convinced both of my girls will be entrepreneurs as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now going back to Encore uh, Live, how do you, like, how do, how do these concerts get set up? Like what's the process? Yeah. So, uh, so Encore Live, the best way to describe that company is that is that company is a B2B company. People, companies hire us to come in and put on events on their behalf. Encore Nights is our B2C company. That's the one where I'm going out and negotiating with the artists. And then we have a distribution pipeline of over 2000 venues around the world. And, um, and so we're working with the biggest entertainers in the world. So right now we're working on our 2022 lineup. Um, can't give any spoiler alerts, but it's going to be a massive year. Uh, we're coming out of the gate really strong in early May with our first show and it's, it's going to be big time. So we are, um, uh, so we're anxious about that, but we will. So we're brokering deals with artists. Now uh, the artists are going to get to film these shows uh, wherever they want in the world. And then we partnered with some other companies on some technology and the artists will be somewhere 
and then we will broadcast that show live globally. We, we literally operate 24 time zones. And so um, uh, we'll broadcast that show globally and they'll have fans from all over the world. And you think about it, these artists, they do global tours, they do world tours, they do national tours, but nobody goes to 40 countries. Nobody is, nobody's, you know, I was talking to John Bon Jovi about it a couple months ago, whenever he, he was a part of our, our lineup in 21. And, and I'm like, man, if you tour for the next two decades, you're not going to make it to 30 of the countries that we just put you in front of these fans. And so it's good for the artists. They get to monetize a, a, a group of fans that, that never get to pay a concert ticket to go. And, and it's good for the fans because they're getting in a concert experience to go see a show live that no one else has ever seen before and that's being played specifically for them. And so um, the language barriers can be tough sometimes, but they love the music. And so it works out. Yeah, music, music is a ver uh, universal language. That's right. Um, That's right. What about like what? What was like the first concert that you put on? Awesome! I love this question. So, um, the uh, so the first one, um, it's crazy, crazy. All everything I do is crazy. Everything, every everything I do Sounds is crazy. Like so, the uh, so the first one was for my friend Corey, and that got the word out. That was a lot of fun. But maybe the, the way I'll answer is the first one is Encore Live. Yeah, that's I, what, uh, yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, um, I was, uh, I, when I was trying to get the business going, I was just, I was working every gig I possibly could as a, I had my full-time job selling mattresses, but I was literally, I would just for free, I would go and work at concerts, just trying to learn and meet people and network and do everything I could. And, um, it was in March of 20, uh, of 2004, 2005, I was working a show in Dallas and I was backstage and I wasn't the bouncer. I was pushing cases. I was helping out wherever I could, but there was this guy back there that was belligerent and drunk and whatnot. And one of the band members came over and got me for the band that was playing. And I was like, Hey, can you get this guy out of here? And so I went and I'm like, man, we got to go. I wasn't the bouncer, but I'm a big guy. So it made sense. And so I'm walking this guy out. He was like, man, I'm not trying to cause problems. I just want this band to play in my backyard here I am a guy that's making like 30 grand a year thinking there's nobody on the planet that can afford to have this band play in their backyard. That's not something that happens. This band just made hundreds of thousands of dollars tonight. And, and so anyway, but he gives me his card and, and I promise him I'm going to call him and but I never really took it serious. And like three weeks later, um, uh, we finally connect and the guy's like, man, are we going to do this or what? And he's sober. And I'm like, you really can afford to pay to have a major rock band come and play in your backyard and to call his bluff. I was like, I'm going to need the money up front. I'm going to need it in cash thinking, you know, when the time comes, there's just no way he's going to deliver. And he's like, well, you want to come over tonight? And I'm like, yeah. And he was like, okay, I'll have the money for you. And I get there and he tosses me a manila envelope with a couple hundred thousand dollars in it. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And, uh, I, I left that night. I drove to Walmart. Mind you, I'm in a car that I have to crawl in and out of the back window to be able to get in. The doors don't even open. Like I am so broke and I've got this manila envelope with a couple hundred thousand dollars in it. I go to Walmart. I buy the biggest safe I can physically carry out of there. Not because I was worried about carrying it out of there, but I lived on a three-story apartment. I was going to have to carry this thing up three flights of stairs. And I carry it upstairs, I 
throw every article of clothing on it. I put the money in the safe and I literally, the bank didn't open until 7.30 in the morning on Monday. I never left my apartment. I just stayed there and watched the money. And, uh, but ultimately we threw a private party on a lake um, out in West Texas. Uh, we had six or seven uh, kind of country and rock bands out there. Uh, some of them are still going today. Uh, the headliner was Cross Canadian Ragweed. And we had Randy Rogers, Jason Boland, Stoney LaRue, Wade Bowen. We had a bunch of big kind of Texas acts. There was someone at that party that then called me and said, uh, hey, I want you to help me have George Strait in my backyard. And I was like, oh, my. And it just it kind of started. And then from there, like, I, uh, I just started doing kind of big entertainer after big entertainer. Every time I do one of these shows, there was someone in the crowd that then was like, Hey, I want to do this for my friends. And before long, you know, and that's just who these people hung out with. Yeah. And before long, I just kind of become the go-to guy that if you wanted a, a really crazy party and with big entertainment, you called me. And I, you know, I also, because I didn't grow up in that lifestyle, I, I view it as an advantage because I didn't have any preconceived notion about how these parties would go. And, and so what ended up happening was traditionally these things were pretty stuffy and people wore black tie and it was, you know, it was very formal. And I was like, screw that. We're going to have a party. Like this is, you will remember you were here for the rest of your life. And I found myself having to talk my clients into not having black tie events. Let's go do something different where people don't have to get dressed up. They can just come and be themselves and have the time of their lives. And, uh, and we've kind of tried to harness that spirit all along the way. And it's really worked out great for us. And, and we took that same kind of philosophy as we started doing brand activation events for major companies and, and corporate conferences and corporate events. And, and just like, if you're gonna hire us, your company better be better off because we were here. Um, and we better tell a story that's so outstanding that, that the whole world wants to pay attention. And we launched you know the Pokemon Go app for Pokemon Go. And it was, you know, we all remember how insanely successful that launch was. To date, it's still the most successful app launch in the history of the App Store, and I'm proud of that. Um, and we've worked with a, a bunch of big brands, you know, Facebook and Dr. Pepper and whatnot, and and we just help them do kind of impossible things that um, that that really help advance their initiatives. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, speaking of that, you also worked with um, UFC um, in the rematch of Dustin Poirier and. So how did that come about? Uh, we always knew that when we got into this B2C business, that it, we weren't just going to have to be, we weren't just going to be in music, that sports were going to be an important part of that. And so um, there was a, um, there was a Mayweather fight that was coming together, hadn't been announced yet. Um, it ultimately manifested itself as Jake Paul and, and Floyd Mayweather um, last summer. Um but in the process of trying to pull that together, uh, we got introduced to the folks at UFC and um, Connor was going to be fighting out of Dubai in January. Um, they'd already signed deals with Amazon and ESPN plus our platforms different. Yeah. You know, we, we don't broadcast to the home. You can't get our content on your device or anything. You've got to go. It's very important to us that our stuff happen in social settings that people can be together and come together to enjoy the spirit of the moment. And so um, we pitched ourselves that way. They loved it. We broadcast the show across the United States, uh, had incredible attendance. It also gave us a chance to try out our new technology. And so we were one of three to broadcast live from Dubai and, um, 
Um, uh, we kind of, we woke up on Monday morning after the fight with a couple pissed off major brands because our fans found out four minutes and 33 seconds quicker because we didn't have any glitches with our technology. And, uh, and so a lot of, um, the other two companies fans were finding out from ours on Twitter who won the fight. Um, and, um, you know, it, it was, the fight didn't last very long. So that's, uh, uh, that's the way it all kind of worked out, but it was, uh, it was a great experience, um, the technology was flawless. Uh, we had uh, from Nova Scotia to Anchorage, Alaska, and all all throughout the United States, we had tons of fans coming out. It was really fun. I went and watched the show at a venue in Texas, and you know it's a cold kind of January night. There's everybody that got their grills out, they're tailgating, and and really they had never been able to experience a UFC fight like that before. And so the reviews were insane, and and so we're looking for additional ways as we go into 22 to partner with groups um, like UFC, you know, Mayweather or somebody like that, we're, we're going to throw down a, a great big fight uh, next summer. We'd want to snatch that up. We're also really inspired by, you know, what like Michael and Paul Rabel are doing with lacrosse. We think, you know, that that's such a rabid fan base and we have a lot of distribution in new England and throughout the East coast. And so I think there's going to be some opportunities to just, you know, work with these kind of specialty groups that are doing really fascinating stuff. And, um, and uh and really bring uh, bring a new way to view sports you know you're not in a bar you're not at home you're tailgating and um it's it's no different than going to the the football stadium on sunday tailgating but then you don't have to leave the tailgate to watch the sport and that's that's what's beautiful about our model and and fans are just eating it up yeah so i like i'm already like when you said there was four minutes ahead i was like yeah i need to watch that stream <laughs> that's I need, right. I need to be at that. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Uh, it's crystal clear. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, I was proud of the team. They did a really good job broadcasting it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm gonna have to check it out next. I mean, I don't know. You have any events in Connecticut? Oh yeah, we. The only state in America that I don't have a venue in is Delaware for whatever reason. I, Joe, Joe needs to give me something in Wilmington or something. But I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't have anything in Delaware. Other than that, we're we're in the other 49 states. We're all throughout Canada, Ireland, um, most of the European Union, and then um, Australia and New Zealand, uh, also throughout Asia. And then now um, Germany and South America is opening back up, and so uh, we're expanding rapidly throughout South America and Central America. Um, and so for our 22 season, uh, we'll be picking up a lot of venues in in that part of the world as well so nice all right you ready for some fun questions let's go all right what what's your favorite genre of music Ooh, uh classic rock all right what's your what's your favorite song right now uh i feel i don't i shouldn't say i feel dumb saying it but that dang song by the kid Lori is just like i can't get it out of my head and and, yeah. uh, yeah for but what I saw him at the iHeart Music Festival a couple weeks ago, and I'm just like, I cannot get the dang song out of my head. And every time I get on TikTok, it seems like <laughs> every damn TikTok has set to that music right now. So that's funny. Uh, who's a uh, who's like a, a, a artist that you haven't done a concert for that you want to do one for? Elton John. All right, that'd be dope. Elton John. What about like what's uh what was like the what was like the biggest one you put on? I did the first private party ever for Garth Brooks. And as part of the deal, I made him bring his tour rig. And it's what's fascinating is that I actually struck up this crazy friendship between the two of us. And um, he's one of the most, he's a very important part of my life now. And, uh, but um, so I, we're in a field 
in the middle of nowhere and I've got this massive stadium rig and nobody knows who's playing that night. It's a secret. And then all of a sudden my customer announces, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Garth Brooks. And he shoots up out of the stage, just like he's in the middle of a stadium. And there's like 400 people in the crowd. It was the most incredible moment in my life. That's crazy. Yeah. You have some crazy story. That's all. I'm like, I, I like, I feel like I need to like be a fly on your shoulder and just like see what's going on. Come on, buddy. I, you'll have some stories to tell. I promise you that. Right, I also, yeah. I also put together, I'll tell you this, maybe the craziest thing I've ever done is I made a band one time and I put, uh, but everybody in the band was in the rock and roll hall of fame. And so I put Mick Fleetwood on drums. Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac was on keys I had Steve Miller from the Steve Miller Band on lead vocals, and I had Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top on lead guitar. And they played 24 number one hits from all the bands and crushed it. Everybody was very confused when they came out. They're like, they recognize Billy Gibbons because who doesn't recognize the beard? But then they see Mick Fleetwood back there, and he's just a behemoth of a man. And most people just looked right past Steve Miller on lead vocals, but then they realized, holy, Steve Miller. And, um, Dude, it was crazy. It was absolutely insane. Yeah, you put together a fantasy team. That's right. That's, That's awesome. right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, could you let the listeners know where they could uh, follow you and your company on social media? Yeah. Um, uh, my stuff's really easy. Just Walter Kinsey, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Instagram. And then Encore Nights, um, Encore Drive-In Nights on for all the socials for my, um, for my you know, fan base stuff and then encore live for on all social media handles for um, for all of our private stuff an idea has just been born no one has seen it yet it's tiny but with the potential to change everything every new idea is precious in this way sometimes fragile or half-baked its worth might not be immediately obvious to survive we must protect their little sparks. There it goes. Good luck, little guy. So many ideas like this are never realized. They could have been so much more than a line in an email or a mumble on a video call. When ideas are explored on Miro, the visual collaboration whiteboard, they're seen by the whole team in real time. Thoughts come to life and grow through team collaboration. Miro is a space where all ideas are taken seriously, and seriously good ideas come together in unexpected ways. Join over 30 million people collaborating at Miro.com. M I R O.com.